At 722, joining us now in our studios is Northfield City Administrator Ben Martig. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Last night you held a uh, work session. Uh, the city council held a work yep. session. Was it wasn't your private affair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness that would be a pretty poor work session. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's one of those off, I should say, off weeks from a regular meeting. You you alternate those in the one work session a month. And quite a bit to talk about. So uh, they went the full three hours. So let's uh, talk about that. First of all, police and emergency management uh, played a big role in last night's meeting, the, the conversation. Let's start off with uh, emergency management. Management, and you got a uh, an update from um, uh, P.T. Hyder last night, the assistant police chief. Tell us about that. Yeah, the city's required to have an emergency operations plan. It really describes how the city will respond and recover to different forms of hazards or emergencies that the city might be facing. So it includes things like um, how do we deploy resources and assets, like in a storm event, as an example. As an example. Safety and security, how how we ensure that uh, f- for the public, what are the different staff responsibilities, how do we communicate out important information to the community. It's all kind of at a high level in a large document that we have, and it's really reviewed every year now and updated. Didn't have too many updates this year, but uh, Deputy Chief Heider uh, talked a little bit about some of the areas that have been of interest, I guess, in the community, um, things like... Uh, uh, maybe some practical examples like uh, wh- what we're reading related to these train derailments. We have trains that come right through town, and so there maybe is a little heightened interest on that. Um, so just as an example on that particular issue, law enforcement really triages that if we were to have a train derailment on protecting life and security of the scene, our fire department obviously is uh, immediate responders to uh, that as well. Really what we what we uh, initiate, though, is there's something called the state duty officer in Minnesota, and they really come and give guidance. We'll bring in state resources to help respond. And um, fortunately, geographically located, maybe uh, uh, we're a little bit outstate, but um, certainly not like some communities, so we're in a good position there. So we kind of went through some of that. Certainly following the pandemic res- uh, response that we have and have learned a lot of th- new things through that process, um, we also follow the state for guidance on areas like public health or areas that aren't right in our wheelhouse for the city. Uh, There had been interest from the council in the past year about how that might get updated um, from that new experience. And the uh, Minnesota Department of Health, uh, PT talked about, is working on the all hazard and pandemic plan responses. And he's been told that the intent is to have something completed over the next year that could get incorporated into our specific local plans. But we have very strong uh, connections with other local jurisdictions, Rice County, Dakota County, um, other emergency responders. And so this was just a good update. Talked a little bit about, too, the, obviously for the council. Uh, we have two new council people as well. So talking about what their role is within emergency response, um, as well as the unique role of the mayor. And the mayor, as an example, declares a state of emergency, and that opens up the ability to respond more quickly, maybe to like financial challenges where you maybe skip some of the bureaucratic processes to go through and checks and balances in order to get a quicker response on issues. The council has to extend that though after a certain period of time. And then certainly kind of overall communications to the public, how do we gather information, get information out. So it's a 
just a really good timely thing that we do every spring as we start to think about that season where we might see our most common emergencies, probably flooding and storms. Mm-hmm. Boy, uh, with every sentence you had, I had about 10 questions. Oh, <laughs> sorry about so, that, Jeff. No, no, no. <laughs> I, we're going to have to have PT in here yeah, to, someday to talk about all this and, and uh, what, you know, the public's role in it as well. I mean, the people need to be informed of what's going on in case of an emergency. So uh, we'll have PT on and we'll save that conversation uh, for uh, some time in the not distant future. Uh, you also talked uh, to uh, the police chief, Mark Elliott, or he talked to you about about, about staffing needs and concerns. And uh, tell us about that. Really, we're in a, a situation where for many types of positions out there in the, in the world, we're, we're seeing a decreased labor workforce that we have to work with. I don't think anybody's probably surprised by that. Uh, our policing industry in particular has had some unique situations and um, circumstances, I guess, environment that we're in that I think it's even exacerbated problem with our police officer needs. And so it's a it's a trend that's definitely out there. The chief referred to it as a national crisis around policing and the future about what we have for available uh, people. So we have a number of hiring. We're already in the hiring process now. We have, I think, five pretty major positions that we think are timely for retirements or eligibility for that in the coming year. So it's really important for Northfield. We're we're a great community, a desirable one for play, place for people to want to be. I think we've got a really strong leadership team within our police department and good good uh, across the board, a very strong department in a community that supports them. That's really important. But we also know that we've seen challenges around recruitment, around pay, uh, ability to inter- more growing interest in people wanting to be able to work from home, which has caused some challenge. But just to put a little perspective, like like some statistics, of police departments have indicated difficulty in recruiting, and 50% have had to change their policies of recruitment. So uh, some have even decreased some of their service levels. So maybe some of these smaller communities in outstate have gone away from the 24-hour coverage, maybe reduced it down, maybe see response time or reprioritizing of certain things. we we in our own department have seen an 81% uh, reduction in applicants since 2019. So whereas we, and it had been kind of a downward trend from that time, we had seen about 55 uh, per application down to 10 on our current process that we have. And, um, and we also know that there's 144 agencies at the end of April that are uh, hiring and um and they're all kind of put out there on a website on the post board because we have unique licensing. So it's just created uh, challenges. Um, we're probably seeing uh, historically uh, probably less experienced officers than what we had used to see. He talked about they used to start out maybe in security and working other jobs after they initially got out of college, maybe working part-time or as community service officers and working their way up. And we're seeing people jumping into the profession a lot quicker. So it means we need to maybe do train. We're seeing our training last a little bit longer. Um, Some of those types of issues. Um, We also know there's been changes in kind of people's work-life balances where money used to be a huge motivator. Uh, Trying to get that overtime was almost a strategy for departments because we knew that they were looking to beef up their pay. That that's not the case anymore. We're they're seeing a value in spending time with family, um, and so they're declining uh, overtime now. They're not as motivated by that. Uh, Chief Elliott talked about 
prior to the pandemic, he was involved in a group that had done some analysis that determined they need to increase staffing levels about 20% to make up for the loss in overtime interest over departments. And that was even before people started to maybe appreciate work-life balance more during the pandemic. Maybe we're starting to get back into the normal (laughs) routine of things, I guess. But just talked a lot about challenges and really what does that mean? I guess, first of all, we want to bring the council along with awareness of of some of the challenges and that it might lead to more potential changes in some of our practices. We've already done some things. We've, um, we've gone into strategies on like working with, uh, trying to get into colleges and to get to the students quicker and also develop our own programs here in Northfield. So the community collaborative program, we're involved with that. And there's a police officer certificate uh, program that, that they're offering that can be done right here in town. And it's geared to traditionally um, underrepresented people in the profession, uh, women and minorities in particular, we're trying to, to grow our own. Um, we have had to increase some of our cost of pay and benefits that we've uh, offered previously, um, probably within our own pay system. We've seen in some other cities, the compression's a little, you can get to the top quicker. We have what's called a 12 point scale and um, some communities have it down to like six or in maybe some more extreme cases, four where you get to the top. Um, might be looking at things about can we extend retire you know benefits of people that have been here so you're eligible a little earlier for retirement for police part of that's because of the difficulty of the profession um, also talked about statistically they have lower life expectancy pretty dramatic um, so they're eligible for retirement earlier based on that but could we do some things to try and keep them in the field a little bit longer or offer some phased approaches but some of those require legislative action so um you know, it's uh, a little bit of a mixed bag. I don't want to be overly doom and gloom on the situation, but Northfield, like I said, when I started, we're in a good position because we have we have done some things, I guess, incrementally to put us in a more competitive situation from paying benefits. We also think that we've got a strong work culture and a community that supports our police department, which I think is important as well. Boy, the problems that, uh, you know, we had modern day problems, issues, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, many of those didn't even exist and things, uh, change, things can change pretty rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Certainly when you talk about what makes a quality community kind of on that, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, safety and a safe place to live, um, where you know that if there's a problem, somebody will help respond and be there for you is certainly low on that list of things that we expect to to have. And so law enforcement's always one of those kind of core things that we may need to make sure we provide well uh, for our community. And we will have uh, Mark Elliott, Northfield Police Chief, on the, the show with us a week from tomorrow, next uh, next Thursday. So I'm sure we'll be talking more about that uh, coming up. You also talked to the uh, B&B guys, uh, not the bed and breakfast people, but uh, <laughs> Bob and Bruce, the two consultants that have been working on uh, crafting some plans and help uh, Northfield uh, or help the city craft some plans for the future of downtown. Uh, what did they have to say last night? Yeah, so the main thing was is it's been a, a, a couple, two, three months, I can't remember, since they've been to the council, got their feedback on some early concept plans, and they've been going out to the community based on the direction they received by the city council. So the Riverfront Action Plan of where we want to go that had been adopted by the city council and took place over a few years, kind of rolling now into the idea of how do we take this information, some of the early concept and go through some community engagement. So there's been a lot of meetings happening. Um, I think I didn't count it up, but I'm thinking it's probably been in the hundreds of uh, different interactions that they've had. They've had four business and property owner workshops in 
you know, four different geographic areas of the city. Really, the intent was to go out, report progress, and gather input input from the council based on that progress and maybe the next stages. You know, so we went to some different schools. Um, one of the directives we received was to get input on things. So the discussion started with Bridge Square, really led into other opportunities. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, had having conversations with the defeat of Jesse James Day's committee around Bridge Square and how any changes might actually enhance the experience there or how they could interact with it. Also transition then to meetings on the highest and best use of Ames Park, Ames Park um, which basically in discussions with the defeat committee, they're entertaining the idea that long-term the carnival uh, maybe is better in a different location and opens up some other opportunities uh, for other park enhancements down the road uh, in Ames Park. So that's an example based on conversations that, that they had leading to some opportunities. Where might that go with them led to discussions too. And we're looking at uh, Lions Riverside Park area, and we've talking to the memorial folks about um, the needs of that park. And that's one area where potentially that kind of shifting down to Riverside Park and around uh, could, could that, could that uh, event happen at some of those and then getting input about kind of the vision of the, of the Lions Club group that provides some, some work um, in the, in the park, set the stage to really provide concept design process for both of those parks. So Bob and Bruce now will be moving into more refined master planning. And I think a little bit of a paradigm shift on that is going to them first, getting the input before those are more refined versus drafting it, coming back for the immediate input. So hopefully that means that we're going to be hitting the mark and understanding some of the real strong immediate stakeholders better of kind of what their vision is and then trying to align with the city to hopefully have a better collaborative result, I guess, in some of the design things. So he shared that. Um, we also been talking to Environmental Quality Commission about what the, their interest is. So we had a workshop with some climate advocates and Environmental Quality Commission opened up discussions from our climate action plan about might there be a district systems approach to infrastructure related to um, pro providing utilities. So as an example, downtowns used to have shared heating steam systems that were in place for all of the buildings. Could we have a geothermal system that could service the downtown or some of these redevelopments that are happening, which means you're capturing the the benefits of the earth with easier and more efficient ways to cool and heat buildings, which is the number one cause of carbon uh, in our uh, getting into our atmospheres and causing issues. Um, and it's it, and it's although it sounds pretty novel, I guess, in a pretty dense historic district. These are being done elsewhere. So like we know right here in town, many colleges are, are moving to this Carleton installed the geothermal system. There might even be some extra capacity there. So we're going to be having some conversations with them about that. Might lead to some of those things, but that's another example of something we're exploring based on some of those discussions. From an equity standpoint, we certainly know that um, we've been hearing pretty strong concerns still about Highway 3 and some of the just how it's a barrier across the city to be able to get to different amenities for people to safely cross um, that. So that's an issue. Also exploring, um, maybe even rethinking some of the location of where a future splash pad potentially could go, which is basically kind of a small little fountain uh, system that's pretty popular for families across the state uh, and maybe there is an area more on the north side, west side of Highway 3 where we could maybe identify where that might go. Um, so that's an example. 
I would say one of the things that when we paused and asked for council input, I think one of the areas that I think is causing consternation for people is these are all great ideas, but how are we going to pay for all of this? Is this all going to be on the city's shoulder to, to implement all this? I would a couple of examples I would say is some of this is a little bit of just refining our planning and identifying opportunities so that you can get them. So like an example would be because of the efforts we've been doing, it opened us up to our competitive application for downtown redevelopment where we got over a million dollars from a state grant, 100% free to us through the Southern Minnesota Initiative Fund that's now being redistributed to businesses in the community, leveraging private dollars to preserve, do preservation and enhancements on our historic buildings. Having these kinds of plans in place put us in a position to go after it. Um, Maybe a missed op some missed opportunity example might be on the fire station project. We, the public works director and I talked and brought forward the idea of, hey, we could put a trail in while we're building this to connect in on the riverside, and then maybe someday we can have some looping. I think it was hard for people to digest that. There were other cost factors, but if you built that into the debt over time, it would have been a pretty small cost. But I don't think we really had an active plan and vision, so people didn't really understand, well, why would you just build that one segment? Had we had this plan in place, we could have just integrated into our plan. So that's another example of if we want to know where we want to go, it opens up opportunities that sometimes are actually pretty cost effective. But if you have no plan, it makes every little opportunity harder to do because people don't have kind of a strategy with it. So um, every project, I would say, whenever there's public dollars involved, will have to stand on its own merits. So even though you know, right now we're designing to do an actual improvement on Bridge Square. Ultimately, the council is going to have to look at the plans and the design and also determine the cost and maybe make some adjustments with that. But we do know that there's some other opportunities, I think, too, like on Archer House redevelopment that will be coming back. By having a plan in place, we might even actually get some of those public improvements completed with some of the private project that's happening, too. So, um, and there might be grants out there. Again, like I talked about, if you don't have a plan, you can't go after this and get some of these pretty big federal grants. So yes, there could be some tax impacts out there, but this plan does not mean we're all in and committed to doing all of this or within a certain time frame. But if you don't have a vision, you certainly won't get there. And there will inevitably be change. And I think it's better for the community to be guiding that change and saying where they'd like it to go so that you can more quickly react and massage the develop, private development side too to match what the community's interests are. So that's a whole mouthful, Jeff. I'm rambling this morning. I must have had too much coffee. Yeah, I'm soaking it all <laughs> It's all good stuff, but I'm looking at the clock. We are out of time. Oh, sorry. <laughs> ben, we want to thank you so much. Good stuff. Uh, we appreciate that. Uh, we'll uh, you know, move on, move forward by talking with PT and, and Mark uh, Elliott and also uh, the B&B boys. That's Sounds so, good. I know so they were saying they want to be back on your show mm -hmm. again um, when they ran into you on the street. So yeah. definitely do that. All right. So this is to be continued. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Ben Marting, Northfield City Administrator. You're listening to 95.1 FM and AM 1080 KYMN 